So I'm feeling really good today in this week. I've had some pretty challenging weeks this year, as I think a lot of us have. It's been a very challenging year overall. But this past week, I've been really steeped in yoga history and the origins of yoga because that's what I'm teaching over in my Quiet Mind Yoga teacher training. The fall class has started. It's an amazing group. It's super fun, and I'm super honored to get to do that. And I will be doing it again next spring and next fall if you're interested in checking it out. But here on the podcast, I will be sharing some of my favorite highlights each week as I go through the training. So it's kind of like you get a little bit behind the scenes of the teacher training and here's some of the things we're working on and learning about. And for me, uh, in the first week of the training, I share about the yoga origins and I've been actually going back to these things that I teach about, which I like to do, kind of go through it with the students. It brings in new perspectives and insights for me and uh, listening to mantras every morning because this is way back to the roots of yoga in the Vedas, the source text of yoga all the way back at least 1700 BCE. And there's some incredibly powerful mantras in there. You've probably heard them at some point. If you're listening to this podcast, you've probably heard of Krishna Das or these different spiritual teachers and people who lead kirtans and mantras. There's all sorts of these all over YouTube and Spotify and wherever you uh, listen to music, Apple Music look up any of these mantras, the Gayatri mantra. Uh, we've been listening to, uh, I made a playlist for them. So we listened to several different mantras throughout the day. And I've been doing that every morning. And it's incredible. And, you know, I've done this many times over the past, but uh, it's like, I really needed it this time this year. You know, I kind of, sometimes you forget about things that you know. It's like, oh, that felt really good and reignited my energy and enthusiasm and reminded me of what's important. So listening to mantras every morning has me feeling much more happy and optimistic and more myself uh, than I have in the last couple of weeks, just with all the ups and downs in the world and my own personal things working through. So we're always all working through those things. And of course, I'm super grateful to have practices and uh, therapy and counselors and support and mentors. And I think that all is incredibly important. But sometimes just you know singing along to some mantra it has this really uplifting, powerful effect. And the music is very powerful, of course. And I was a former musician and I got into mantra early on as a, a yogi and into my yoga practice. I love it. It's some power, powerful stuff. So if you've never listened to mantras, I recommend checking them out. And uh, this is one of the main things, one of the things we're talking about in my uh, this week in the training. Uh, we cover a lot of ground. It's about 13 hours a week. We're together uh, working on stuff over 15 weeks. So one of the other things, and this is today's topic, is this documentary called On Yoga, The Architecture of Peace. Now, maybe you've seen this. It was on Netflix for quite a while. I don't think it's on there right now, but you can find it on Amazon or other places. I'll post a link in the show description if you want to check it out. I highly recommend it. So this is part of the self-study that I lead in my teacher training. So I Say, you know, go on outside of the class, outside of my time with me that you have and uh, check out some other stuff, right? Get some other perspectives, other voices, uh, other experiences of what yoga has to offer. And in this case, it's this documentary of watching on yoga, the architecture of peace. It was this photographer who's incredibly talented and he's worked with some of the biggest celebrities throughout history and got to photograph you know, Jack Nicholson and Martin Scorsese and you know, all these incredible people. And he had this crisis and he broke his arm and he couldn't take photographs anymore, essentially. 
at least not the way you know he was used to and he felt like something needed to change and that's when he turned to yoga which he had known about uh, but this is one of those turning points and one of the things that uh, is so interesting about yoga is often people come to it in crisis some sort of major life change things are just turned upside down and they're looking for answers and meaning and direction and purpose and often find that in yoga so it's an interesting noteworthy point of why this person turned to yoga and then the photos he takes are just breathtaking beautiful stunning photography and cinematography in this film uh, you know, I joked with my students, you know, it's it's very boring and dry and uh, you could watch this or you could just watch paint dry and get the same effect, uh, which is not really how I feel about it. But it's, you know, just to sort of set the bar that it's not like drama in suspense. It's not like a captivating thriller. It's a meditative film and think of more like an art house. If you're going to an art house cinema and watching a film or uh, like a yoga practice, the feeling of doing your practice. I think they captured that really well on film. Feels very meditative. And they've got some of the greatest minds and teachers in this, uh, giving their thoughts and insights as well. So today, I'm going to share some of my favorite quotes. I just rewatched it again for the third time today or this week, the last uh, few days. And I am going to share some of the highlights and quotes that I pulled out, like that one of, you know, why did this guy even go on this journey? Well, it was a personal crisis he went through. And you can hear my cat trying to destroy my studio. <laughs> uh, I have a kitten who's uh, 10 months or 10 weeks old now. And uh, she really doesn't like it if my attention is not on her, as, as is the case with kittens often. Uh, but she is also a great yogi herself. Cats have so much wisdom to teach us. So I'll try not to let her distract me too much, uh, but I'll be sharing some of my favorite quotes and ideas and concepts from this documentary, starting with that first one of just like, why do people turn to yoga? It's often in times of crisis, or maybe they want like spiritual direction. Uh, maybe it's just for personal growth, but crisis is a common reason. So other, oh, there she's meowing. I don't know if you can hear that. Uh, but uh, some other quotes, I'm just going to kind of go through my notes here that I took. There's a lot of great things here. So let's see. So he said that he chose to learn to sit with himself and calm his fear rather than, um, you know, trying to run away from it. You know, as somebody with access to all these Hollywood stars and everything, you can easily just try to escape your problems and go into drugs, addictions, distractions. Uh, in his case, he said, I chose to learn to sit with myself and calm my fear. And I think this is one of the really powerful things about yoga is it gives us this spiritual insight. And later in the film, Deepak Chopra says, uh, you know, we all these fear of loss and this craving and trying to like hold on to all these things we have. It's all just essentially a fear of death. And a fear of death is all just essentially forgetting who we are. Yoga reminds us who we are, and it is not our roles we play. It's not our identity. It's not the mask I wear, the persona, right? The word persona comes from mask, and uh, it's it's this Atman, the true self, the witnessing awareness, the part of you that is still quiet and calm, that when you look in the mirror when you're nine years old or 40 years old, it's that, it's like, you know, it's the same thing. It's like, you know, Oh, look, that face changed. And there's more wrinkles on the face now. 
there's these new freckles and all these things. But that awareness is like, it doesn't really change, right? You know what I'm talking about? When you kind of look in the mirror and it's like, you're the same person, but you look, look a little different on the outside, on the, in the meat suit. But uh, on the inside, it's that true self. And that part of us is connected to all other beings as we learn in the Upanishads and the Vedas and the Bhagavad Gita and all these source texts of yoga. We are all deeply interconnected, like drops of the ocean, right? You can't just take a drop out of the ocean and say, like, this is separate. It's, it's the ocean, right? You just put it into a, you know, one handful, maybe, or a spoon. You got this little uh, few drops of the water, but it's still the ocean. And that's what we are deep inside. And that's what yoga teaches us. It brings us back to that. It kind of strips away all the roles and identities and the tensions and the expectations to come back to our true self. And I love that the whole perspective of his journey of coming back to that true self. Uh, there's He talks with this yogi who says, you know, the reason we suffer is it's too many desires. Right? It's too much of this like external, I need this, I need that, you know, and uh, always trying to get more, never satisfied. And even when we have success, right, you've probably experienced this. Like you had some big goal. Maybe you wanted to start a business or graduate or get some job or have some relationship. And you're still unhappy. There's still this discontent. Or, and then, of course, you fail. And, of course, typically that leads to discontent as well. But as they say in the old yogic texts, you know, the yogi is one who is no longer affected by the pairs of opposites. It can be high or low, up or down, hot or cold right or wrong, left or right. It's like you find your center within all of these pairs of opposites in this dance of polarity. And that's what we do in the asana as well. All of our muscles work in the same way. There's antagonist and agonist muscles. So if the front of your arm is contracting, that's your biceps contracting. That means your uh, triceps on the back of your arm have to lengthen. So there's all these pairs of things happening, right? We go into these deep postures and Half of the body's contracting, half of the body's lengthening. We find equanimity within that. Everything's going up and down in our lives. There's loss, there's gains, there's highs and lows. We find equanimity within that. And if we don't, then we're dissatisfied. And we think, maybe if I get this new iPhone that's coming out, I'll be satisfied. That's what I need. You know, or maybe if I get this new house, that's what I need. I just, if I just lower my bills a little bit, you know, that will be, you know, I'll be happy then. And we never want to put happiness outside of ourselves or somewhere in the future. Happiness happens within. That's got to start first of knowing I am enough. I am whole and complete as I am. And I'm here to play, right? Just like a child, right? The, the child is just playing for the sake of play. Just like my kitten wants to just play for the sake of play. Uh, and it doesn't really mean anything necessarily. It's the meaning we give to it that uh, makes it, you know, good or bad or up or down. Uh, of course, there are things we can do that actually harm others. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the things like, you know, oh, I need to get this new computer or this new job and then I'll be happy, right? Uh, I'll be happy, then I'll get the new computer. I'll be happy, then I'll get the new job. How about we reverse the whole thing? And just start with, I'm going to just find happiness within. And then everything external is just extra. And start with the internal happiness and peace. And that happens when we do pranayama, especially meditation, yoga, asana. We kind of work out all the kinks, open up all the channels. Then we can sit in stillness in that rest and that contentment underneath all these layers.
So let's see, the next thing here, other notes. Uh, oh, there's a lot of uh, the yogis shown with the ash on their forehead, right? And I, I wondered for a long time, like, why do they do that? You know, ash on the forehead. Well, ash is considered like uh, condensed sunlight, right? It's, it's fire that has turned to ash, turned whatever it was burning to ash. Uh, so it's considered like wearing the sun. And of course the sun, is highly revered and uh, we do sun salutations so you namaskar uh, but the agni the fire god is a huge part of vedic history as well tending to a sacred fire uh, having a fire ceremony a puja right fire is a huge part of vedic tradition and wearing essentially the element of fire the sun on you is like connecting to Surya, source, God, of this fire energy, this masculine energy. Let's see. There's a quote here. Eventually we realize that if I can't find true happiness in myself, I'll never find it. That's when yoga begins. When we realize we can't find, if we can't find the true happiness in yourself, you'll never find it. That's when yoga begins. Uh, a great quote from Gurmukh. So I haven't studied personally with her. I've followed some of her videos. Uh, I got to work for many years with a uh, sort of contemporary of her, Matab Benton in Austin, Texas, and Siri Bahadur. Uh, they are great Kundalini yoga teachers in Austin, Texas, and they are very much just pure, great people, really quite far from the uh, direct connection with Yogi Bhajan, but they do teach the Kundalini yoga as Yogi Bhajan taught. And of course, he's in the center of a lot of controversy right now. Uh, and I was fortunate to realize something was suspicious about this guy a long time ago. Uh, but I did do a Kundalini teacher training in 2011. And after a couple of years, I just moved away from any sort of association with that because it felt like there was something suspicious about the guy. And it's nice to have those uh, suspicions validated now with these recent allegations coming out. Uh, but it is terrible that they happened, and uh, I hope that anybody affected by that finds some sort of justice. But he did share some teachings that were really powerful, and Gurmukh was one of his students. And I can say, working with a couple of his students as well, that they were very genuine, good people, and just unfortunate to end up with a teacher who is manipulative and hurtful. Uh, but Gurmukh, I think, seems like a very genuine person and seems far from any sort of controversy like this. But she does have some great quotes in here, like the quality of your breath is the quality of your life, right? So the quality of your breath is the quality of your life. If we take shallow, sort of difficult, fast breaths through the upper lungs, that just doing that is going to stimulate your sympathetic nervous system and make you more stressed out and reactive. Just breathing shallow in your chest, that totally changes your state. If you take slower, deeper breaths down to your lower belly, that's going to engage more of the parasympathetic nervous system and help down-regulate your system. That's going to completely change your experience of your day and any interactions you have just by breathing down into your belly. Quality of breath is the quality of your life. I fully agree with that. And she also says, you have to know you live in the world, but you're not of this world. And you bow every morning to that creative force within you. So that's daily practice. And that's something I have my students do in the teacher training, the daily sadhana. So they're doing yoga every morning and five days a week. I think five days is a good 
number. You can do seven days if you want, uh, but anything over five is just kind of extra. Less than five is all right, but five is a nice sweet spot where you're continually increasing strength, flexibility, and balance, body awareness, breath awareness, your breath rate slowly uh, can slowly decrease or you can slow down your breath. So five days a week is pretty optimal. And again, like she says, like every day you bow to that creative force within you. Now you could do this through yoga or journaling or meditation or walking in nature. But I think that's so important of uh, what do most of people do? Now you wake up and you check your phone. So you bow to the phone and the tech, tech gods and what is Facebook saying and Instagram and the news and all this external inputs and this big field of distraction where you forget your creative force and you forget who you are, you forget your connection to source. And that's where fear, anxiety, worry, doubt, insecurity comes in because now you're being told, you know, like, you know, there's danger, there's trouble, there's problems, there's things to solve, uh, there's urgency, there's these issues, all this external stuff you've got to deal with. Uh, but you can do that much, much more effectively if you start your day from connecting to your true self. So like, you got to plug in yourself just like you plug in your phone. So if you start your day just reacting to other things, it's like you never plugged in your phone. And you're going to be on low power mode the whole day. But if you start your day, you plug yourself in to source, do your practices. And again, I don't say you have to do any one particular practice, but do what lights you up, what connects you, what plugs you in. And then start your day from that place and see what happens. And like she says, you have to know you live in this world, but not of this world. So you're a spiritual being having a human experience rather than a human that has occasional spiritual experiences. You're a spiritual being having a human experience. Now, underneath all the layers of man, woman, child, adult, age, gender, whatever, race, underneath all that, we're all drops of the same ocean. And when we remember that, that's where we find our connection, our happiness, our creative force, our possibilities. So. I think that's very important. Definitely agree with that. And I've done years of morning practices now and different practices at different times, but I highly recommend finding what works for you for now. Maybe you do a 30 day thing, a 90 day thing. In my teacher training right now, it's a 60 day thing. So something consistent and it can be five days a week. It doesn't have to be seven days a week. So I like how he talks about this photographer who's kind of the protagonist of the film is he talks about photography is a form of meditation and i fully agree with this like anything can be meditative it's dharana and dhyana so this is the eight limbs of yoga dharana is we become focused on one thing dhyana is we become absorbed in that focus so after we've been focused on it say it's the breath i'm just going to sit here and focus on the breath noticing the breath come in and out Notice the little space between the breath. Notice my breath slowing down into my belly. And then at a certain point, I lose that voice, that voice that's saying, you know, I notice this. Okay, I feel that. Oh, I'm distracted. I'm going to notice my breath again. That voice just disappears. And that's when Dharana ends and Dhyana begins. So now I'm just breathing, not even thinking about it. It's just all those thoughts that I was consciously thinking are just happening, right? It's present. It's fluid. It's beyond words. That's dhyana. 
and I stay with that for a while and my mind doesn't come back. Maybe if it comes back for a second. Oh, I notice I'm thinking again. Okay. Silence. All right. Just back to that presence. And then samadhi is the outcome of that in the eight limbs of yoga. It's like samadhi, that sort of sense of equanimity, peace, transcendence, complete presence. That's sort of the side effect of that. So we can't control dhyana and samadhi, the last two limbs of yoga, but we can control the dharana of I'm going to focus all my attention on recording this podcast right now. And my cat will be like, no, put all your attention on me. <laughs> and she just jumped in my lap a minute ago. And she's much happier and purring now that she's close to me. Of course, she's like, uh, she can't really jump onto my lap. So she has to use her claws and jump onto my leg and pull herself up with her claws in my leg. Uh, and then she gets up. So... I've got the battle scars for that, but uh, that presence. So this is the whole thing. Photography is a form of meditation. Gardening is a form of meditation. Calligraphy, art, drawing, surgery, the bioengineering, uh, chemistry, whatever you do, painting, uh, whatever dance, whatever you do can be a form of meditation. For me, it was playing guitar. Right? It just there's no thought it's just noticing the sound and the feeling and the next note right? once you've learned the basic skills of something you can go into that meditative state and anything can be that and i think that's really powerful he talks about the decisive moment of a photograph it's where it's just like you have to take the photo now like that's the image that's the image i want to capture and he says if i'm not present i'll miss it then it's gone right just just like an exhale, once you aren't present, it, then it just goes away and the breath is gone. And it's kind of interesting as I say that, I think of countless times where I've been in meditation, I just notice the breath. It's like time almost paused for a second there and the memory was imprinted in me. So it's like these moments of complete presence that we can have. And in something like photography, you have to be right there, fully there and catch it. Especially if you ever watch like uh, National Geographic or animal photography, sort of these sort of wildlife things, they've got to catch these incredible moments right there. They've got to be right there at the right time to catch that moment. I think that's a powerful uh, reminder, the decisive moment. So in yoga, it's like just moving your right arm here, moving your left leg there, right in that moment. And, you know, uh, you're not thinking about it. It's just, you just go. And we forget that sometimes. We end the yoga practice and then it's like, oh, what should I do now? I don't know. Right? The, the indecision comes back and the, the small self, the identity is like, oh, should I be this person today or that person today? Do I need to fill this role or that role? Uh, but if we slow down a little bit and just listen to the true self, that still quiet voice that's never yelling, it's never anxious, never afraid, says, go here, go there, you know, pet the kitten make food, go for a walk, right? Oh, but I can't go for a walk. I need to do this. Okay. Okay. Do that. All right. <laughs> it's like, it's very calm, very still, very quiet. And we might kind of argue with it and be afraid. It's like, I don't know if I can do this. All right. You don't have to do it. You know, just we'll do this instead. So it's, it's like this, uh, inner parent. Maybe you've done like the inner bonding is one of my favorite books on sort of self, uh, regulation of, having the inner dialogue of like your inner parent talking to your inner child or your inner adolescent, that 
you know, what do you need? Right? You can almost think of it that way. That's still more on the level of like identity and ego, but it's closer to this true self role of like, you know, what, let's go here, let's go there. This sort of knowing, this trusting of taking action now. This is the direction to go. And sometimes it's take a nap. Don't do anything right now. Just lay out. Right? It's okay to just veg out, watch a show or something. Uh, do nothing. Fine. Right? But sometimes it's, oh, do this now. Take this action. Like This is the way to go. Right? So trusting that when it arises. And yoga, we practice being present in a whole bunch of different positions in different ways. And then outside of the practice, off the mat, hopefully we can be responsive in that same level of detail and presence. So I've got about three times, two times more notes than that. So I'm not going to cover all of it here. Otherwise, this podcast would be quite long. Uh, but for those of you listening in the teacher training, this will be in that uh, page on your membership site. So you can look at all my notes. Uh, but if you enjoyed this, please leave a review in Apple Podcasts. Uh, let me know what you think. Check out the documentary. I'll have the link in the show notes so you can watch it yourself. And uh, if you have any quotes or insights that stand out to you, you can share it with me over on Instagram at jeremy.quietmind or send me an email, jeremy at quietmind.yoga. And again, next time the teacher training opens is March 2021, and then September 2021. Until then, we'll have the uh, Quiet Mind membership opening at the end of this month. So September 22nd, just a couple weeks away, this is the fall equinox, and I'm opening the membership every season. So four times a year, it opens for just a week. So you can join and get in there with us where we go through a monthly core competency. So right now, this episode, I've talked all about the core competency of yoga history. So everything to do with the Vedas, the Indus Valley, the history of yoga, the influence of Jainism, Buddhism, the Upanishads, this all falls into this time of yoga history of just one core competency. In the membership every month, we have a new core competency we focus on. So every class fits into that category. So series on anatomy, the Upanishads, uh, mindfulness, breathing, expanding your lung capacity, which is extremely important. Quality of breath is the quality of life, right? And then uh, over the next quarter, so the fourth quarter, I go by the sort of standard quarters of the year. So October, November, December, we'll have new themes each month. And you can join us in the membership and do video classes with me and be part of the private Facebook group and get questions answered, get requests made. If you have a request for a video, that's where I take requests to make videos for you. So inside that membership. And that opens on the 22nd. It's only going to be open for one week. So you can get in right before the start of October and then join us and start a daily yoga practice if you want. There's over 70 videos in there right now and it just keeps growing every week. And start adding new teachers as well uh, this month. So we're going to have other teachers, other voices, other styles of yoga. Quietmind.yoga slash membership is where you can join the waiting list right now to hear all about that. And hope you enjoyed today's episode. Hope you have a great rest of your week. I'll be back next week with more insights from inside of the yoga teacher training, the Quiet Mind Yoga Teacher Training. All right. Thank you for listening and have a great week.